Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. It is Tuesday, the 21st of September. I don't really have anything to say specifically about that. So good morning. All right. So I opened up the text line this morning, which remember, you can always text me at 877-933-2484. Opened up the text line this morning and uh, saw a message from someone who was seeking to engage at 1042 last night and then again at 105 a.m. So you know, a little before five, I shot him a message back. They replied, here's what's going on. So I just want to lift this up as a prayer concern to each each and each one of us and all of us, and then seek to address the concerns raised. Um, so at 1042 last night, one among us just sent in a text message that said, I have spiritual questions. And so I, um, you know, I replied back and invited uh, them to share maybe what what was happening as they worked out their own faith with fear and trembling in the spirit of Philippians 2.12. And the reply was, um, I'm alone 24-7. But then the acknowledgement that they're around people, but alone, like in their own world. And the desire is obviously to be, you know, connecting. And so my encouragement is to not only seek the Lord, because God's presence is actually sufficient if we're, um, if we're living in a full fellowship with him, but also that God already has given us each other, all of us, each of us, the fellowship of the body of Christ. I mean, you know, truth be told, I'm alone 24-7. Like, that's the reality of the human life. We are around other people, and we are yet ourselves. We're going to stand on our own before the Lord, not, you know, not with a bunch of other people. We're going to stand there uh, one-to-one. And so we live there even now, one-to-one, in a a one-to-one relationship with the Lord our God. And so if you are um, finding yourself asking for someone else, in whom you can confide, the first confidence is to, is to the Lord, re- relying on Him, resting in Him, fellowshipping with Him. And then let us very quickly acknowledge that, yeah, God did create us to be in relationship. God is relational. He is triune. We are designed as well to be in relationship with one another. And He has given us the fellowship of the body of Christ. And so connect with the church. Literally, just call a church and tell whoever who answers, whoever whoever answers that phone, tell them you want to connect with other believers. What's happening at the church today? Or, you know, where is the body gathering on Zoom? Or, I mean, it doesn't really matter if it's a Bible study group or a knitting group. And it doesn't matter if you don't have knitting needles and don't knit. 
you know, there's just a lot of groups that are meeting to meet. They're not actually meeting to knit. And so uh, go, like go. It doesn't matter if what they're doing is walking dogs and you don't have a dog. Go walk with the people of God. If they're if they're doing a prayer walk in the neighborhood, go walk with them. If they are gathering at the pole, go gather at the pole. Like some of this is getting out of our own woe is me and actually joining ourselves to the fellowship of the body of believers in the church today. So um, you can probably tell that I am um, a get up and go. I'm going to give a get up and go kind of answer. And so do not do not remain in your isolation. Like you are going to have to, if you're already out there in the world, this, you know, I mean, I recognize that what you're saying is you're alone. You feel like you're alone in your own world, even though you are around people 24-7. Maybe you're just not around the right people. So go get in fellowship with God's people. Go connect with a church, with a with a fellowship uh, with a Bible study, with a small group, with a community group, with a discipleship group. The names are many. The fellowship is real. All right. And then my question for everybody, where in the word are you this morning? I am in John chapter 16. I would commend it to you. All right. With that said, let's bring Mark Caleb Smith on. He is from Cedarville University. He and I are going to cover some of the headlines of the day. We'll be right back. All right, joining us now, Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. How are you doing today? I am well. It is well with my soul. It stopped raining where I live, at least for a period of time. So, you know, those are all good. I take those as all good notes this morning. How about you? Uh, things are good. Yeah, things are good. The fall is getting ready to kick off, so I'm always happy with that. And can get some pumpkin spice if that's the kind of thing that you enjoy. So it's a good time of year. Do you have a particular um, date upon which it's okay to imbibe in the pumpkin spice? Uh, I like pumpkin spice pretty much just period. So whenever I can get it, I will, I will probably drink it. So I don't have a I don't have a hard date. Just anytime okay. I can do it. All right, all right, there we go. All right, um, identity crisis. We could talk about personal identity crisis. We could talk about national identity crisis. Uh, let's talk about the identity crisis in the grand old party. What is going on with Republicans? Well, I mean, anytime you lose a presidential election, uh, especially in a situation where you have a president who's uh, who loses after just one term, uh, which is unusual in our country in recent history, uh, it's it's normal for a party to go through a process of evaluation and to figure out what it is and what it believes and what its leadership looks like. Um, but what's different in the Republican Party right now, I think, compared to what we've seen in the past, is uh, Donald Trump, of course, who lost the 2020 election, is still a significant presence within the party and is still uh, commands an awful lot of support within the party. And, you know, this is just really different than, say, when uh, Jimmy Carter lost uh, as a Democrat or when George Herbert Walker Bush lost uh, as a Republican. They were pretty much pushed off to the sidelines and that was the end of it. Uh, well, that's not the case with Donald Trump. Um, he's still wildly popular within the GOP. Um, 
to the point where it seems like how people respond to President Trump is really defining their future within the Republican Party. Um, we're still holding rallies in defense of January 6th people. Granted, it was a small rally. Not many people attended. And so it's just interesting, I think, that President Trump is, is looming uh, in a lot of ways, and people are just kind of waiting to see what he might do next. I don't know. Can you do any prognostication for us? Because I feel like there are a lot of people disengaging from not only this conversation, but from uh, membership in either party. Uh, And so there's this growing swath of people who won't actually have a voice in um, in a party, which, in my view, drives both parties further to the fringes. Yeah, I, th- I think you're. I think you're right about that. I mean, the problem in our system, if you want to call it a problem, uh, is the way that we structure our elections is is a winner take all system. So you have to physically win an election to represent a district in Congress, for example, and that tends to drive it toward two parties instead of a multi party system. Uh, we need to rethink the way that we elect people in order to have. Uh, more different kinds of representation, I think. I do think there are more and more people who are dissatisfied with the political parties, um, but can sort of an alternative group step forward? And can you even bind those people together? Uh, you know, there there are a fair number of disaffected Republicans, you know, people who might think more like Anthony Gonzalez, who recently decided not to run for re-election, Ohio's own Anthony Gonzalez, a uh, member of Congress decided not to run for re-election. He voted to impeach President Trump, uh, and now he's he's just simply not going to run for re-election because he's fearful of how things might turn out. Frankly, um, I think there are plenty of people like him. You know, he has sworn uh, that he will work to defeat Donald Trump in the future, regardless of what else might happen. There are people like him. Uh, there are certainly Democrats who don't feel represented by uh, the very leftward drift of the party, the progressive edge of the party. Uh, you know, the so-called woke elements of the party. So there, I think there are plenty of disaffected people, but there just isn't an obvious place for them to go right now. Uh, and eventually the parties will try to reach out and grab those people back for the next election. So it feels like we're in the, in the middle of a bit of a dreary cycle uh, when it comes to our parties. And we may be in the middle of something significant happening, you know, like a realignment or a massive change. It's just difficult to tell at the moment whether that's happening. All right. Next, uh, Mark and I are going to have a conversation um, about pronouns because there's a professor and deputy dean at Yale Law School whose preferred pronoun is they and is now going to employ a default rule um, that each and all of us will be referred to as they unless we otherwise claim to be he or she. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. It don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. Mark Caleb Smith is a professor, and so I'm asking him a question this morning about the assumptions that he makes, uh, the default rules for his classroom. Professor um, Smith, do you make the assumption when you walk into class that people who raise their hands want to answer or people who raise their hands don't want to answer? Uh, When people raise their hands, they want to answer a question. Yeah, that's the default in my classroom for sure. 
Okay, so this professor at Yale uh, adopts a a number of default rules in his classroom. He he is the deputy dean of the Yale Law School, um, and in his classes, one of the default rules that he shares in uh, in his contract law class, uh, I guess, and other classes as well, is that he flips the meaning of things. So when a student raises their hand, uh, he asks a question, and a student raises their hands. Um, he says that means you don't want to answer, and he says that this is this is because he presumes by default that everyone wants to speak. The presumptions that he makes, I think, are significant and um, and arrogant. I'll just say that that will be my uh, my take on all of this. But the the new default uh, this year in his classes is that he will refer to everyone as they. Until he, quote, knows better. Whenever possible, he says, it's important to create early opportunities to learn people's chosen pronouns, which has now become standard practice in academic and other settings. Is it, let me ask you, as a professor, a standard practice in your academic setting and other settings as well to, when people introduce themselves, also ask them to identify their chosen pronouns? Uh, it is. It's certainly not standard practice um, when I teach, and it's not standard practice uh, in my interactions with people. Um, but I, I'm not going to pretend. You know, being at Yale Law is a really different cultural, social environment where I'm sure there is a tremendous amount of pressure, as he makes it clear in that piece, uh, not to offend people. And it's as if offending people through using the wrong pronoun is really uh, one of the worst possible things you could do to offend them. I and mean, he he says it's similar to mislabeling them based on race or ethnicity, for example. Um, he's just going out of his way to just comfort people, I guess, in that sense. But I, you know, I find it bizarre um, in a lot of ways, for sure. But I mean, Carmen, I'm really interested, though, in what you think about this in terms of, you know, as a believer, I've not been put in this situation. Honestly, um, and I'm sure some of our some of your audience members have, but I'm just curious what you think is the right response. You know, how should we address people in these kinds of situations? Because honestly, I'm sort of still struggling through it myself. Do you have thoughts? So my first, um, the first time that I was at an event um, where the opening exercise for everyone in the room was that we uh, share our preferred pronouns as a part of our introduction, um, I mean, it's more than 10 years ago now. So this is actually really? not unusual for people operating in mainline Christianity at all. Um, and so that was my environment then. Um, and so I can tell you that in mainline Christianity, this happens a lot. And yeah, it happens a lot at elite um, academic institutions. It does not happen in common practice in most places and in most of our conversations. And so I do think that those of us who engage in those uh, in those settings or in those environments, like if we want to be heard, if you want to not just have a seat at the table, but have a voice at the table, you do have to play this game. But it right. is, but it does feel like a game. And so much emphasis and attention is, um, is directed uh, upon those who are choosing pronouns that are uncomfortable for everyone else. Uh, that make that make communication as difficult as possible for the rest of us. And so, you know, if if some of us have thought about the way we can 
make it easier for people to engage, make it easier, you know, remove barriers right. Uh, right. in terms of who's at the table. This actually creates new barriers. And I recognize that as soon as I say that, there are going to be those who say, well, but it removes barriers for those for whom there have always been barriers. Really? Right. Really? Let me let me just ask you to reconsider that um, assumption that you are making Uh, And even as I am totally willing to reconsider the assumptions that I'm making, here's the challenge as I see it. Um, God created us as male and female. Right. uh, And that is reality. And so how far am I willing to go to participate in the collective delusion of the day? Like how willing am I, you know, how, how far am I willing to go? And so, yeah, I am willing to um, refer to another person by a name that, in my view, does not align with their gender, um, because names are what they are, and right. names are, you know, a little bit shifty. So, you know, Peter didn't resist being called Cephas, and I wouldn't resist being called Cephas either if God just declared me to be the rock, like, right? right. So, yep. you know, I, the name thing is not as hard for me as the pronoun thing. The pronoun thing is actually harder for me, more difficult for me to surmount than um, than calling someone by an alternative name. I mean, most women I know no longer bear the name that they bore when they were, you know, growing up. And right. and so if we're going to resist, uh, you know, the changing of names, you know, that's probably a whole nother conversation that we have to have about why we call ourselves what we call ourselves now. Yeah, and it's it also it seems to create also an opportunity for things to become really really casual. And I know that sounds weird, but if you don't know what pronoun to use and you can't call someone Mister or Mrs. or Ms., uh, then you end up okay, going with just a first name. So, but and apparently, let me just cast this out onto the waters of conversation yeah. this morning. Apparently, nobody has a problem with how gender specific the word mandate is. Right. <laughs> I mean, that is all I will say about that. But are you kidding me? Like that word is everywhere. It is on the lips of the most progressive people constantly. And I just want to say to them, do you hear yourself? Can you not see the word man in the word mandate? What? And the word date. I think there's probably some. Anyway. All right. Oh, I clearly There goes Carmen being needlessly offensive again. Way to go. Carmen being needlessly offensive, but now everyone's going to think about it every time they hear the word mandate. <sighs> I know. Oh, that's I know. good stuff. Getting us back on track. Okay. Um, so let me just say this. Uh, parliamentarians, I love par- yes. I love me some good parliamentarian uh, process. I'm a former Presbyterian, so, you know, we are the parliamentary people of the world. Tell us yeah. what happened. What did the Senate parliamentarian do and why does it matter? So, yeah, the Senate parliamentarian, which is just it's a bipartisan uh, position that just decides what rules mean in Congress. And so uh, Elizabeth McDonough, who is the parliamentarian, had to decide whether or not the Democrats could use this budgetary process they're, they're undergoing right now um, to change immigration law effectively. And ultimately, the parliamentarian said, you know, this budgetary process is really about budgets. Immigration law may have some fiscal, you know, connections to it, but it isn't really about spending or revenue per se. And so you can't fit into this reconciliation process. I know that's a lot of word salad, but the whole reconciliation process is there for Democrats to try to avoid the filibuster requirements 
in the United States Senate. And so what the parliamentarian has basically done is if you want to deal with immigration, the Democrats are going to have to go through a regular process and the filibuster is going to be sitting there, which means they'll need 60 votes uh, to move an immigration bill to the Senate. And so Democrats are upset. Uh, but this is I think this is a regular ruling. It's not unheard of at all. This is what everyone expected the ruling to be. Um, but it does put an obstacle in Democrats path. They want to see immigration reform. All right. Um I have a note from a listener here. Rick says, when my daughter's eighth grade class did their class introductions just a few weeks ago, they were asked to give their preferred pronoun. Wow. So okay. it's happening among us. Uh, Rick, I'm sure that led to some very interesting conversations in the car on the way home and around the dinner table. Let's be absolutely clear uh, about who we are and whose we are. Uh, and let us be walking our faith out into the world that God so loves in ways that are honest to the truth, where we are not participating in the delusions of our day, but also not, as Mark pointed out, needlessly offending other people. Amen to that. So, yeah, keep the conversations open. All right, brother, thank you so much. We got we to gotta jump, but um, thank you for joining us. As always, blessings on you and, and your classes today. All right, same to you, Carmen. You all take care. You too. We'll be right back. September is um, recognized as National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reports that suicide is now the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. My guess is you know someone um, who has either taken their own life or certainly has a family member who has taken their own life. Suicide rates in the United States have increased by greater than 30% in the last 20 years. And so we all know the documented risk factors, um, and we also recognize that Christians are not immune. Christians have the same problems that everyone else has. Pastors' wives still suffer postpartum depression um, and, and all kinds of other challenges related to mental health. And so a few weeks ago, we talked about the death of Paige Hilkin. She was, a, she was 28 years old, the wife of Christopher Hilton. He's a che- teaching pastor at North Coast Church in Vista, California. Paige was a beautiful Christian woman in every uh, respect, the mother of five children. She just gave birth to their um, fifth child four months prior to taking her own life. She was at a mental health treatment clinic in, uh, in Arizona. Larry Osborne knows the family very well, and he has been walking with them and the congregation through their grief. And he joins us next just to process through um, some of what it means to live as a Christian in the midst of a culture of death. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. The teen and preteen years are difficult, to say the least. And it's no wonder that the challenging and painful years for your kids can also be challenging and painful for you. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. The vast majority of kids that live at Heartlight, a residential counseling center for struggling teens, started making poor decisions long before they needed to get professional help. So, when you see your kids going down a path that isn't good for them, perhaps a path that you once traveled too, don't be afraid to tell them about your own mistakes. When you admit your weakness, you're actually helping your teen understand that he or she can turn out okay too. And your honesty could just be the thing that keeps them from mimicking your mistakes. Mark Gregson is devoted to helping parents of struggling teens. For more helpful parenting resources, go to parentingtodaysteens.org. 
or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Really privileged to have joining us again today, Pastor Larry Osborne. You will remember uh, the conversation that we had with him, I don't know, maybe like a month ago. Um, we've been talking about the subject of suicide. A few weeks ago when we talked to Larry, it was about the death of Paige Hilkin. Paige is the 28-year-old wife of Pastor Christopher Hilkin, a teaching pastor alongside Larry at North Coast Church in Vista, California. So, Larry, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Well, I'm glad I can be with you. So it's been it's been several weeks. You know, this is one of those things that I just I will confess, right? We have paid attention to other things while you and the people you love best, the people with whom you are walking day in and day out. This is probably still top of mind for many of them. Um, give us a sense of of as as time unfolds and a story fades into the maybe public background, it's still the most pressing issue for the people closest to it. Yeah, that's always how it is. And they're always a little bit surprised and uh, disappointed that no one else seems to hold on to uh, uh, tragedies quite as close as those who were a part of it. Uh, And yet that's just actually the way life works and, and always will work. Uh, people have their own life and things go on. And there's a, a, a lot of places, Carmen, where we're, we're surprised by that. As a guy who's been in ministry uh, here at North Coast over 40 years, there's going to come a day when I'm not here at all anymore. And I'll be shocked how within six months to a year, people are going, now, who's that guy? Uh, when uh, you go through a difficult time and you ask people to pray for it, they pray for it a few times and then forget it. And it's it's not because something's wrong with them. It's because life is complex and everybody has their own burden. And we all have a tendency to think that uh, everybody is as good as they look. <laughs> all the mm. burdens that they're carrying that we can't see in their backpack, we're going, well, why aren't you picking up mine? And uh, often they have their own burdens that are sometimes as bigger, bigger than. So the reality is, is uh, life has quickly gone on, except for, of course, the family and those that are uh, absolutely closest. And then it becomes our job to make sure we're checking in on a regular basis to say, hey, we're still here. We're still here. What do you feel like you know with greater certainty than maybe you knew the last time that we talked? Well, I'm not sure there's a whole lot because one of the privileges of Having done things a lot of time, I, I I tell people sometimes life feels like a Hallmark movie. My my wife will watch those every now and then in a little setting TV room we have, and I'll walk in, and it doesn't take me long to say, oh, this person is probably from the big city. I bet that one's going to marry this one. I mean, the stories are the same, uh, but they're changed a little bit, uh, you know, and and that's kind of how life is in terms of the questions that are always asked around a huge crisis. Of the way that life goes on in a strange way and a very quick way, and, and the way that those of us that are hurt the most recover so much slower than we think. We always uh, overestimate what will take place in six months and underestimate what God's going to do in, in 60 months. Hmm. Oh, I think that's so good. So, um, Larry, there's 
obviously lots of questions that not only are unanswered now, they will go unanswered. They will remain unanswered. How do you, you know, how do you counsel, console, encourage people to continue walking by faith when questions go unanswered? Well, I think let me put on a pastoral shepherding hat for people. So I I think uh, uh, Chris Brown, who is now our lead pastor, I'm a teaching pastor, and I've stepped away from that lead role. So he's got a lot of that weight on him. When this happened, he was out of town. So I jumped back in to take it like I had all the decades. But uh, I, I think at a time like that, one of the most important things to do uh, is not to rebuke people who are questioning what God is up to. That is so easy to do while you're not having enough faith. And, and what we're called to do is weep with those who weep, not rebuke those who weep. Uh, we've lost the ability to lament in our culture today, especially when we get filled with Christian cliches and and good doctrine and, and forget that... Uh, all of those things don't always work right in the moment that uh, Jesus wept at one point him, himself. Uh, we, we, we would be rebuking Jesus as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, pleading not to go through with what he knew the will of the Father was, asking if there's any other way. It's part of the process. And so I think that's such an important part is to legitimize the pain and legitimize the questions. And then with gentleness, point out the simple fact that we are not God, and we always think we can understand him, that uh, often we're, we're like a little kid. Anybody with a little kid or a little grandkids running around, they know what it's like when the kids start asking the why question. Uh, and there comes this point, it's like, I can't explain it to you, not because I don't understand it, but you can't grasp the concepts and the words that I'm trying to explain. And, and God simply, he says, trust me, and it's only really trust when I don't understand. When I understand, it's agreement. Like, oh, yeah, I see what you're up to. Good job, God. You know, here's a biscuit. Uh, but when I don't understand, that's the only time that it's faith. See, we think of faith as, as mm. conquering and victorious. But Hebrews 11, a passage in the Bible that talks about faith, sees faith as, as keeping on uh, in a torn, blood-stained uh, kind of cloak and just like, I'm not giving up. That, that's what faith is. Uh, faith is only faith when I don't understand all that's around me. I'm, I've been thinking a lot lately about the faith of uh, the guys who we call Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Even if, um, right. even right. if you don't do what I know you could do if you chose to do it, even if you don't show up and deliver me in a way that the world would see as deliverance, um, I'll still praise you. I'll still worship you. I will still walk by faith. Um, and I think that when you describe it as, you know, it's only faith when we don't understand, when the question persists, um, when the difficulty comes, that's, um, that's helpful. That's, Larry, that's so helpful. I'm talking yeah, with think... Pastor. Yeah, we better take a very, very brief break. I'm talking with Pastor Larry Osborne. He is one of the teaching pastors at a congregation in California that is walking with another one of their pastors through the, um, the, the, through the shadow of the valley of death, um, following the suicide of uh, a beloved member of the congregation and a mom of five, Paige Hilkin. We're going to take a brief break, and then we're going to come back and continue our conversation. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen.
Picking up where we left off with Pastor Larry Osborne. Larry, let's talk a little bit about how we grow in humility. I think that in a culture where we think we know so much about one another, so much of our lives are um, broadcast in a myriad ways on social media. We think we know what's going on in people's um, homes and hearts and workplaces. And and somehow we think we're entitled to know. We deserve to know about the private lives of other people. How do we grow in humility? Um, because I I feel like there there's a voyeurism that is not really a friends showing up to walk beside the one who now must find his way back out of the valley of the shadow of death. Um, so can you just talk about that, the, the need for Christians to grow in our humility in relationship to what we have a right to know about other people's lives? Right, right. And I'm going to push back. I totally agree with your concept, but I'm going to push back a little bit. Is I'm not sure it's humility in the biblical sense of not mm. thinking too highly of ourselves. There's some of that. But I think a more... It's a little harsher, but a, a, a more realistic thing of what's going on is we like the backside of gossip and slander. That's mm. really what it is. Uh, you know, the the you're, you're being kind and gracious and not wrong, you know, when you say growing our humility and we're not going to know. I totally agree with you. You're spot on on that. But I think a, a, a more penetrating way to look at it is say, why do I want to know this thing? It has nothing, all the details of who, why, and behind the scenes. What we've come to call, well, we need more transparency is just curiosity. Uh, you know, the Bible does tell us the sins of people. He tells us that David slept with Bathsheba, but we want to know how many times and all kinds of other things about uh, all the details. Uh, you know, uh, we would put together podcasts to, you know, talk about it. And even in Christian circles, we've fallen in the trap of calling uh, slander and gossip investigative reporting. Uh, and then I have people who send me articles or podcast links or they, oh man, it's fascinating. You need to see, and I go, I don't need to see that, hear that. I don't need to see that. Um, it is, it is my sinful, uh, uh, like a magnet pulling the filing towards myself, a sinful desire to know all the scandalous details. Uh, and at that point, uh, the more I have that, the more people will give it to me. Uh, because uh, the clicks uh, and uh, the viewers and all of that just increase. And so I think what has happened is it, it's, an, it's a sin problem we've had forever. We all have powerful binoculars and a really crummy mirror. And so <laughs> we, we pick up those scriptures and we read them through binoculars. We hear about somebody's situation and we get put on our binoculars to get all the details of it and just shake our head all the while oblivious to all the stuff that's not right with us. Uh, I like to think of somebody who we've all had that experience. You walk in to a bathroom and you see a button's unbuttoned in the right way, or your hair is like in some strange, and you're wondering like, why didn't nobody tell me? And you've just been running around thinking everything's great, it's, or there's food in your shirt. I mean, who knows what it is, but you get the idea. And, and that's how we can be spiritually, just so... Uh, arrogantly thinking we're, uh, we've got our act together because we never let the Bible be a mirror. We always want it to be a set of binoculars. That is so um, convicting and helpful. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for that. I'm thinking, um, Larry, that one of, the, one of the questions on people's hearts and minds 
um, as we turn toward the circumstances, maybe closer to our own neighborhoods and homes and congregations, um, is how do you walk, how do you minister to a minister? Maybe maybe that's one question. Or how do you, I mean, how do you walk with someone who um, whose needs are, I mean, I'm thinking here about Christopher, and I'm thinking about having five kids under six years old, and two of them really, really little. Like, how do you how do you walk with a person whose needs, frankly, seem overwhelming and great? Well, f- first of all, uh, there are natural uh, webs of relationships, and sometimes we want to force ourselves into a situation. Uh, so, for instance, let me get very practical with the situation here. Uh, Christopher, in many ways, was a protege of, of of Chris Brown, who's been on our staff for 17 years, the last two and a half years, our lead pastor. Uh, and so uh, when Chris came back uh, to the States, he's been in regular, very regular contact with Christopher uh, because of that relational web already being there. Hey, how's it going? How's it going? How's it going? Mm-hmm. During the crisis and right afterward, I was like the 24-7 all around it. And then have stepped back into an occasional text message of, hey, any way I can help. Because what's happened, and Nancy and I, my wife, we went through it. She had very, very bad breast cancer uh, 20-something years ago. Didn't look like she would make it, obviously did, by the grace of God. But what we noticed is there were a bunch of people who tied to, uh, I'm not sure why, but they, they tried to cram their way into our life, and we already had enough help. Mm. Uh, so it's like you... You, you knock on the door lightly and you see if anybody answers, but you don't barge down the door because you're trying to get something off your chest or feel better like you've done something. So I always tell people, look at the pattern of relationship you have and what is appropriate to that, you offer help. And frankly, most people are going to say, oh, I've got it. Okay, great. But I want to have made that nod, can I help? And when God has previously put me or by the situation put me in the middle of it, then I want to give, uh, you know, that that 24-7 Good Samaritan type of, you know, here's my credit card. I've got to leave now, but whatever it takes, take care of this guy, you know, which is the little part at the end of the story that's fascinating. So I, I think we just don't overwhelm people. And we also let people... Uh, like I said, lament and weep themselves. We don't have to fix every hard feeling, every confusion. We just have to be there. One of the things I have experienced in my own life is that, you know, in examining that natural web of relationships that already exist for the person um, who's really in the crisis, um, is who do I, how can I support the people who are in direct relationship to that person? So maybe it's that my friend needs meals or their kids picked up or whatever so that they can be really present in the circumstance and situation where they are the one in the primary relationship with the person in crisis. And so, um, you know, it's oftentimes a secondary or tertiary way that through our natural web of relationships, we can ultimately um, serve by serving those who are serving in, you know, in very direct ways. So I think that's really, really helpful for you to talk about the natural web of relationships um, and to acknowledge that it's one thing to knock lightly. It's another thing to, you know, try to barge or press our way in. But those are such, um, those are just such helpful thoughts. Larry, anything else before um, before we run out of time today? And again, thank you so much for the ongoing conversation. It's it's really so important, I think, to circle back around 
and not only check in with one another, but say, here are ways we can progress in faith together on these very difficult topics. Yeah. I, the only thing I would add is, is for those of us that are closest in that friend circle and those of us that are looking from a distance, uh, we need to let people process things the way they process them. We all have this sense of, well, here's how I would deal with it. And then we put that on other people, be it someone we don't really know, we're reading about, we shake our head and post something on social media about how, how dare they do it or respond this way. Or we do it with those that are closest to us. Uh, I know when Nancy and I were walking through the valley of what's going on, and I had young kids at that point, so it was not just losing my wife potentially, but it was uh, the church had grown quite large, like I can't do that job uh, with three young kids, et cetera. And everybody had a plan for me of what I had to do. And those who were uh, uh, dealt best with Nancy and I and gave us the most support were those who said, deal with it your way, deal with it your way. And uh, for her, that meant uh, chemo on weekends and continuing to work because it made life seem normal for our kids. For others, they were like, I can't believe you're doing that. Oh, so everybody has their own idea. Trust God, trust the Holy Spirit and support people in their path as long as it's not a sinful path. That's uh, Pastor Larry Osborne. He is one of the teaching pastors now at the North Coast Church in Vista, California. Um, Larry, thank you so much for joining us. What a privilege. Well, same here. Thank you. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right, just a word of encouragement uh, to you today to reach out to people who you know are struggling, people who have suffered loss, people who are isolated. It's one thing for us to reach out when we are suffering. It's another thing for us to love others enough that we would reach out to them. And so let me just encourage you uh, to reach into that web of relationships today. Whoever it is that God just brought to mind, I want you to text them or call them. Uh, At minimum, send them an email. Tell them that you're thinking of them, that God brought them to mind, and ask if they want to talk. That is the connective tissue of the body of Christ at work each and every day. So make your connections with God this morning in a time of prayer. Get into the Word of God for sure, and then let God's Spirit work through you, reaching out in love and concern. To somebody else. That's how the web of relationships works in the body of Christ. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.